Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Today is International Women's Day. This year, the theme is Break the Bias, calling on us to imagine a gender-equal world, free of bias, stereotypes and discrimination, where there's diversity, equality and inclusivity. That world is one where we can work together to make a difference that is both valued and celebrated. But while that seems like a very achievable and excellent goal, on this day, you will invariably come across this guy. Oh, but what about International Men's Day? While we shouldn't have to justify this with any kind of explanation, wouldn't it be great to have some excellent responses ready to go? Today, we speak to some incredible Aussie women to describe how they respond to that hashtag not all men catch cry and how we can actively work to break the bias too. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Sometimes bias is super obvious, like not being hired for a particular job because you're a woman or being expected to do the lion's share of the domestic work at home because that's a woman's role, or being told that women don't have a place in the decision-making process because that's a man's world. But alongside the obvious gender bias, there are a million quieter, more subtle, more insidious examples. Just look at the workplace for a start. Recently, Qantas flight crew had to petition their bosses to allow them to stop having to wear heels, pantyhose and makeup things their male counterparts aren't required or even allowed to wear. What about the idea that women at work must be helpful, calm and non-confrontational at all times, lest they be considered an emotional psychopath? What about not being invited to the after-work hours boys' club functions or being talked over in a meeting or having a man pitch the exact same ideas as you two minutes after yours was rejected only to have his welcomed with open arms? Research has shown that projects run by women are often viewed as less valuable. They're given less credit when a man's involved too. And God forbid a woman fail or do something that men do regularly and without a thought. We're looking at you, former Australia Post CEO Christine Holgate, and your fancy watches for your best performing employees that ended with you having to leave your job and be called out by the Prime Minister on the floor of Parliament. Despite a recent study that shows women who are operated on by a male surgeon end up more likely to experience complications and death than after being operated on by a female surgeon, 
women surgeons still receive fewer referrals from doctors. How about that when you think of a doctor, you automatically assume it's a man? What about the fact that the air conditioning in most workplaces is set to ensure the average male body is comfortable? Gender bias in the workplace is pretty common, but what about those in areas that have traditionally been populated by almost exclusively men, like a comedian? Steph Tisdell is a proud Yidinji woman and one of Australia's best comedians. An interest in politics and advocacy saw her enrolled to study law, and her sense of social justice now permeates her onstage material. Steph is a winner of Deadly Funny, as seen on The Project and the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Gala, and she's just fresh off of a performance at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Steph, how do you deal with that age-old bias of women in comedy in that they're told women just aren't as funny as blokes? How do you respond to that? I think you just got to be real funny. <laughs> you know, I think actually for somebody like me, the way that it affects me the most is it just feels a bit lonely. Like I'm quite socially awkward, especially with men. So I can feel quite shy backstage, whereas I feel a lot more comfortable when there's other women and all of that sort of thing. But as far as like biases go, honestly, I think weirdly enough, I fulfill a niche. So I haven't really felt it as much. And that then becomes the thing that I deal with more is the fear of tokenism or the fear of just being a niche act. Do you know what I mean? Representing something that is niche. And that becomes the thing that I get fearful of, not so much being a woman. Well, how is it then that that community accepts a strong black woman in their midst? Because obviously when the boys club kind of, you know, closes ranks, they will remove women from the equation. But I imagine black women have been more than excluded in that process over time. How do you feel representing that part of your community and knowing that that is what has kind of catapulted you away from the others? I think it's harder to know how to talk up and talk out, like especially when it comes to a group of men. I think there's a a natural intimidation or natural kind of submission that you feel as a woman or something. So when it comes to trying to have your voice be heard, I think that's the stuff that plays in the background. And whether that's realistic or not, those are just the things that you walk into a place with, those kind of fears in the back of your mind. I don't know if I've got a realistic perspective either because I'm a bit shy. I always have my own people with me so I always have like a friend or something with me and I'll just kind of show up for the gig and then retreat back to my comfort zone which is my friends I think that because comedy is so vulnerable I kind of haven't really learnt how to create friends in that space which is quite weird. How do you go about getting booked Steph? Do you come up against quotas of how many women are on the booking or you know how many women of colour are on a booking? Oh Absolutely. With my anxiety, that's the stuff that I stress about is am I actually good or am I here to represent something? That's the stuff that I think is really hard. That's why representation matters. It's because there's always this fear that you're not there because of talent. You're there to fulfill a quota. And oftentimes it just is the case and you just have to tell yourself that you still deserve to be there. There are so many gender biases happening around you every day that it would make your head pop clean off trying to count them all. From the car being designed to be safer for the average male body type, to boys should be associated with blue and girls with pink. Being told your behaviour is unladylike, that being cranky is a women's issue that must be linked to your menstrual cycle, that boy kids should play with trucks and dinosaurs, girls with baby dolls. But of course, bias can also be much more sinister. 
Chanel Contos, whose campaign to out sexual coercion by schoolboys on her Instagram page just over a year ago, led to her helping to draft legislation that passed Parliament with unanimous support from both state and federal ministers just last month, ensuring that education on consent would be made mandatory in all Australian schools. She's now preparing to start her job at the Centre for Sex Equality. Chanel, your work has gone from zero to 100 in a very short space of time. I mean, one day you're starting a petition, the next there are laws passing Parliament that you've helped create. What biases have you experienced as a young woman occupying this space? Well, starting with parents, usually the biggest bias and pushback is kind of the notion that, you know, we can't talk to kids about sex. And I feel like that comes from kind of clickbait headings like sexual consent to be taught from five years old, blah, blah, blah. Where in reality, we're teaching consent from five years old. We're not teaching sexual consent. So, you know, you can teach consent through playing with toys and through asking to hold hands in the playground and all of these other things that are very non-sexual, which I think puts parents more at ease. And then I guess in terms of bias faced by men, my ideal consent education curriculum would embody feminism at the heart of it and be a curriculum that is critical of our attitudes towards sexuality and gender and what that means in our society. And I think a lot of the time that can be jarring because mainstream masculinity in Australia right now can sometimes be a hard conversation for people to talk about because it requires reflecting on their own personal beliefs and bias. What have people been telling you about you in this process? Have they told you that you are not old enough to do this kind of work? Have they told you that this isn't a place for a woman? Have you come across people who've told you that you specifically are not right for this fight? I haven't been told that I'm not old enough. If anything, I think I'm not young enough because the whole point is trying to relate to Australian high school students and create content that's relatable for them. I've definitely been told that as a woman, I don't have the right to speak about theories behind masculinity and what it means to be a man and expectations that men have and how this is portrayed on wider society. But I kind of strongly disagree with that because... I feel like no one thinks about kind of why things are happening more than the person who's being oppressed in the situation. So I feel like women actually generally have a much greater understanding of kind of the forces that masculinity and power enact on us than the um, people who are just, you know, being part of the status quo and it's just kind of the default in their life to hold that sort of privilege. Now, your work is taking you into places that have been in the spotlight in the last few years, courtesy of women like Brittany Higgins and Grace Tame for being places that are not safe for women. You're having meetings with ministers and looking at creating policy and having that policy actually accepted. You're stepping to a place where bias, gender bias is not just real, it's sort of functioning there every single day. How have you found that experience dealing with the Canberra bubble? I think that the gender bias experience every single day is everywhere in Australia. So, I mean, I haven't really noticed a tangible difference being in the Canberra bubble. If anything, I feel like due to the pretense of the conversations we're having, I feel almost more comfortable in those situations because it seems like anyone who's in the room with me is aware of why I'm there and what I stand for. Now you're looking 
at moving into the Centre for Sex Equality here in Australia to look at fighting more than just the consent and sex education fight now. What other biases are you looking at working towards ending with your work with the Centre for Sex Equality? I feel like in Australia, the kind of root of most of our gender-based violence issues comes down to our expectations and attitudes towards gender. Also, I feel like the type of sexual assault that Teachers Consent tried to give light to was this more normalised type of violence rather than explicit acts of violence, more so calling out that actually, you know, this entitlement and this lack of empathy towards the situation is really harmful and this is also counts as sexual assault. It's not only upholding the kind of stereotypes in our society of what we see sexual assault to be. And to me, all of that boils down to gendered expectations and those kind of everyday biases we experience in our society. So, yeah, the types of things that I want to look at in this new centre is, firstly, this new national survey. I really hope that the government passes that through soon and it means that we could start understanding the types of attitudes, beliefs and prevalence around topics such as sexual assault, consent, relationships in Australian school children because there's a massive gap in our data for that. And then going much more broad than that, addressing gender norms and stereotypes in our society as a whole. So for example, policies such as non-transferable paternity leave have proved to do absolute wonders for gender equality in countries like Sweden, for example, where making it so that paternal figures have to stay home with children as well for certain periods of time in order for parents to be entitled to more leave starts breaking that bias of, you know, the fact that a disproportionate amount of household work falls on women and makes child-rearing duties kind of a a co-parenting thing in a heterosexual relationship and creates better relationships between fathers and children, portrays a picture of a father being in a fatherly role in a more paternal way than just, you know, kind of like the breadwinner. And then that has massive effects on pay gap, on hiring bias, all these things as a whole. So I feel like we need to start thinking kind of like one step ahead instead of trying to patch up the damage that gender-based violence does in our society. We need to start being transformative in our policies to prevent it from the get-go. We continue to see gender bias around us every day. Former Australian of the Year Grace Tame comes up against it constantly. Even when she decides not to smile in the presence of a powerful man, she's hauled over the coals for her unladylike behaviour. In contrast, there are powerful men who've chosen not to smile in the presence of Australian politicians and they've been told they're making a point, standing their ground, being tough on an issue. Ash Barty had one beer after winning her first ever Australian Open and there's a former Australian Idol host slamming her for promoting alcohol consumption while he remained very quiet about Formula One driver Daniel Ricciardo doing a shoey atop nearly every podium he's ever graced. So on this International Women's Day, when some dude says, but what about International Men's Day? Here are some ways in which you can respond. First, Chanel Contos says, mate, read the room. I guess if the only time you bring up International Men's Day and the treatment of men in our society is on International Women's Day, I feel like you're just using it to diverge the attention away from where it should be rather than because you really, truly care about the cause. It's kind of just like if it's someone's birthday and you were saying, but what about my birthday? And it's like, okay, well, that's irrelevant right now. That'll be relevant in six months. 
Mamma Mia boss, co-host of Mamma Mia Out Loud and host of No Filter Mia Friedman has this classic comeback. I think they're right. And the good news is that we already have International Men's Day and it is basically 364 days of the year. Host of Mamma Mia's Extraordinary Stories, Emma Gillespie, says your material is old and it's time to retire it. Honestly, get a bloody grip and get over yourself. I am sick to death of this question year in, year out. You know what I think of it? I actually think it's good. Ask me the question because now I know to unfollow you and to block you and to remove you from my life for good. And as for Steph, she'd rather have her dignity than have that conversation. I wouldn't say a single thing. Honestly, I would just ignore that. It's a simple thing to say that shows their lack of depth, their lack of perception, and it doesn't even require answering. They want to be thinking that way. I don't know why. I guess it's easier for them or something, but it doesn't even bear responding to. That's your quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And if there's a new story you want us to check out in a bit more detail for you, it's really easy to get in touch. Shoot us an email, thequickie at mamamia.com.au, or find us all over the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even Mamma Mia podcasts on TikTok. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.